On this episode of Talk Me Some Art and Other Stories, My Computer Conundrum. Paul Massey has always had the vehicle for you at the right price, at the right time. And with the Paul Massey exclusive one price guarantee, you can't go wrong. It's the right car at the right price, right to your door. That's right, right to your door. So call us today or go online to paulmassey.com. Thanks uh, to uh, Paul Massey for sponsoring this show. And uh, we want to welcome him uh, into the fold here. Uh, We've got a great lineup of podcasts planned. And uh, I hope it meets your perusal and liking. Uh, This show, Computer Conundrum, was put together with the help of Mark Halpern in the studio. John Jacobs is the executive producer. And um, Story Evermore helps out from time to time. She's going to be coming back to sit in with uh, Guy on some couple of the couple of the future episodes we've got planned. Uh, don't want to get more into detail than that, but it's exciting. We've got some new prospects coming in. Uh, Mark is helping up a good young youngster come up in the world of audio. He's interning here. Uh, his name is Jacob. And his last name is the same as John Jacob's last name. That's how I remember his name, Jacob. And I think he goes by Jake, but I call him Jacob for sh- for short. My my shorthand is the I like proper names. My mama, my dad always called my cousins had nicknames Meg, but her real name was Marguerite, and my father would always refer to her as Marguerite. And Rochelle was Shelley, and. Uh, uh, other names like that, you know, uh, Rochelle, and it, it, it seems like it it would be make sense to be the short name for Rochelle to be Shelley, but my dad would always call her Rochelle, giving her piano and organ lessons or piano lessons back in the day. My computer conundrum simply is that I cannot run my new printer, uh, my new Epson um, printer, my Envy model, it's called, um, uh, I forget what the number designation is, it's uh, the entry level one, Um, set me back about $180 I guess, and uh, it sits languishing on my desk right now until I get my new computer which is tomorrow, I'm all excited to go to the Apple store in Providence. Uh, one of the great Apple stores out there and uh, meet with the geniuses there behind the curtain make this make the magic happen I'm going to get a trackpad uh, I picked up a Kohenor, uh, a Kohenor, uh technical pen the other day a pen that's called a Kohenor Rapidosketch Rapidosketch it's a 22 plus dollar apparatus writing pen that uh, has a beautiful thin uh, beautiful uh, medium 
thickness line. It's black uh, India ink kind of ink. Uh, dries quickly on a mylar um, paper that I use. I bought a separate pad that wasn't cheap either. That was about northwards of nineteen dollars uh, for twelve pages. Uh, you know, it's over a dollar a sheet, nine by twelve pad. I'm going to do my little map of Rhode Island on that, a cartoon map. Uh, I'm going to enjoy uh, drawing that. Tomorrow, once I get my new computer, I'll now be able to talk to my printer and print out what I need to print for my uh, little uh, craft, arts and crafts time that I'm going to have. Um, what, what it is, I look for image online. If it's the old Slater Mill in Pawtucket or the towers in Narragansett, I will uh, pick a picture that looks like it's overhead a little bit to work for my map, and I will uh, scale it and print it at that per size. I'll then take my mylar and place that over the printout and uh, begin tracing. And that'll render me a beautiful line art rendering. Uh, I need to trace. I need some reference there. I, I, can, I can draw from sight. I can draw on the paper. I can transverse to a paper, to paper from pen, uh, looking at something and then moving my eyeballs onto the paper and drawing line by line that way uh, sort of not by memory but by reference using the the main uh, photograph of let's say the Slater Mill as reference and um, there's some complexity to the Slater Mill you got to get the water wheel aspect in there the the front water is an element that's important to incorporate and that's going to be incorporated into the map I'm going to flag my areas uh, throughout Rhode Island and, of course, the main features will be all of the Paul Massey dealerships uh, will be prominent. And that ad's going to run in the fall, uh, the fall edition, the fall, one of the fall papers, uh, probably Sunday in the Providence Journal as a full-page ad, hearkening in the fall, welcoming in the fall. We're having a strange fall this year. COVID has uh, caused that. Uh, blame it on COVID-19. Uh, and uh, we're all hunkered in our homes we're probably not going to be doing a lot of activities my feeling is i think we should all get back out there but i I know safety first the governor is very nervous she's trepidatious to say the least um certainly don't want any street seat street action going on Uh, we want to keep our streets relatively quiet we've been lucky in rhode island we've escaped national headlines um we're, we're, not, we're not copying a lot of the bad negativity out there. Uh, let's hope we have a safe election cycle. So far, it's been a little tumultuous, uh, but we, we're making it through, and I think we're gradually going to come out the other end uh, and electing a uh, leader of the world that can uh, take us forward, and I hope that uh, that's the case. I hope it doesn't get tied up. I hope the election isn't delayed. I hope we know who our president is on election day. We have every right to know who is going to be leading our country and leading us for the next four years. And we should know the day of the election, at least by midnight that day. So I think that's probably the goal of the powers that be. The mail-in balance are going to complicate things. Uh, Certain people like to complicate things in this world. We don't need to mention names. I'm not going to mention any names. It might be implied by, by, by how I'm talking, but the, uh, the, it's a 
it's a cantankerous world out there. Uh, it's a cantankerous climate, and uh, we're we're all we're all uh, in a position where we either fall victim to it or we rise above it. And I think for most Americans, we're going to rise above it. Have you ever wondered what cats dream in the morning when you wake up to make your coffee and you're looking at your cat and she looks sleepy, she looks a little weary, she's at her food bowl but she's not eating, but she will be eating, she'll be eating really soon, but she's waking up too and she's she's out of a stir, she got up when you got up, yep she did, she couldn't help it. She couldn't help herself. Uh, you wanted her to stay in bed. You can come back and pet her. Now she's on the floor and you can't really reach down. Too lazy. But you love your kitty. And you wonder what they dream. And you ask them, What did you guys dream last night? I got two cats, Kane and Lulu. And I ask them almost every morning, How do they dream? How was their sleep? You know, that's just the way I am. I'm kind of just a little strange puppy. I like to talk to my animals. I get a little bit of interaction talking to my animals. Um, now, when I say talk, I don't mean intellectual conversation. We don't have a back and forth like that. It's not like that at all. It's uh, it's a pretty one-sided conversation with uh, those, them doing most of the conversational effort. In other words, they're communicating on a visual higher level, and they're giving me cues all the time. Cues uh, where he stays by the door after I close it at night. I leave her in the room with me. Uh, he tends to want to just uh, scratch around and make too much noise. And also, uh, the given is that she's in the room. I'm not going to force her out of the room. And if he comes in, well, I can't have two cats. And if they behaved well, that would be another situation, another better outcome. Uh, they would both stay in the bedroom quietly. Um, Cats should be quiet at night. Uh, we demand that of our animals, at least, to, so we can get a full night's sleep, so we can have fun and work with them the next day. And it's not really work, it's all fun. But uh, my two cats don't really stay in the bedroom with me at night, overnight. Uh, I close that bedroom door on Kane. Kane's left to the other rooms uh, for the remainder of the, uh, the night and early morning until I come up out at five o'clock or thereabouts and uh, head for the kitchen to make, make my coffee. But um, he he's, doesn't really run right into the room as if missing it. So I know he's not really um, in a whimpering mode. Uh, he's, he ends up scratching at the door just a very short amount of time. Uh, I can hear his little whimpers at that point. Um, he has a sort of a, uh, well, it's a whimper. I, I can't really express it any more than that. It's a meow-whimper combination, which is one of the cutest sounds on the planet Earth. Um, field recorders should go out and record these kitties with these meows because they're very distinctive meows. Lulu doesn't make a peep except for her growl when... when the man cat comes up to her, Kane, I call him the main cat, the man cat, not the main cat, the man cat, and uh, he doesn't mean anything by it, he just wants to see her, uh, wants to just uh, check her out, check out the scene, maybe, and maybe he wants her spot, I don't think he does, he doesn't look like he's in any antagonistic mode, 
so she though gets the, her signal is is that this is a territorial threat on her being the um, the alpha cat in the in the mix here she's been here the longest she's the oldest uh, cats know who the alphas are and who the betas are and he's beta mode right now but he's an alpha cat in his own right and he asserts himself where he wants to uh, he loves yogurt uh, she doesn't like yogurt this could be a comedy show he likes ice cream and she likes ice cream. They both agree on that one. They both, uh, I mean, they both don't like ice cream, rather, I should say. Let me clarify that. Neither of them like ice cream and only one of them likes yogurt. And that's Kane. And as far as the other dairy products, I haven't tested them on him. Uh, Kane probably would like, I'm going to assume that he's going to probably like milk for its sour aspect because I think he's... He likes the sour aspect of the yogurt. I think that's what, what attracts him, the, the, the flavor of the yogurt. It's uncanny, folks, how a cat uh, will run along your side until you're seated in place to, to have your yogurt. And I give him uh, some licks of the tablespoon, uh, and uh, he's happy with that. And he gets about four of those while I have the rest of the yogurt, which is the bulk. Cats don't really eat a lot of quantity in the sense that if you compare them to their uh, their uh, their sister animals, sister in quotes, sister animals of dogs, because I think cats and dogs are very, very much alike. And they're very different at the same time, too. That's the amazing thing about dogs and cats, isn't it? There's a lot of similarities. Uh, there's a lot of pains made to gain your affection. Some in more overt ways with dogs, of course, but in more subtle ways with cats, more subtle ways, more nudge up. I'll come up to you on my own volition. I'm going let, to let, let cats do things on their own. You can't make a cat do something. You can't uh, bring a cat to water and make him drink. Um, you cannot um, foist your will upon these animals dogs or cats but dogs and cats have a unique relationship uh, or do they have a relationship do they have a relationship no not really uh, animals have relationships with themselves and their immediate uh, peers and groups and that's that's really what it is but they have relationships though i must say with their owners uh first and foremost um they are uh they are faithful to their owners, and they're usually generally well-behaved. I get home sometimes after a day or two away. Um, if I go on a, a business trip, um, I had to leave the cats. Um, they had a pretty good setup uh, with the automatic food uh, dispenser in the studio. That I, they, they have a little corner of the studio. They come in right off the studio kitchen. Uh, that's a nice little nook. I put the bowls in there. Um, it's one big bowl and one big water bowl. Uh, if you try that for low maintenance and have them eat out of the same bowl, it, it works. It works. Um, I know I don't see Lulu at the feed bowl too often at her dish. She's not there too often, but I do see her at key times, and I know she's getting the food that she needs because, well, I think she she's probably the most beautiful cat I've ever known. Well, I can't say that because my Lily was beautiful and all my other cats, all my cats that I've had 
were, were beautiful in their own right. Sylvester, um, and I must mention uh, uh, Rudy in that mix. Rudy, Rudy came in. He's a certain character there. He was a little alley cat, but not an alley cat. He was a low rider. He had a boxing stance to his walk. He looked like he was going to box you in a match in a corner. Um, the sweetest little cat, though, a very well, fairly well-behaved cat, although I'm going to say he's not quite as well-behaved as my cats I have now. Uh, he did get into, he did kind of scratch things up a little bit, uh, to put it politely. But still, nonetheless, all my animals are great. That goes for Minu, my mom's cat when she was a child, who I never knew, of course. Patches, who I never met, who died in our window well on Harrison Street in Woodlawn because of uh, rat poisoning by accident. Um, devastating to my brother, my older brother. I was just one year old at that point, maybe. Uh, maybe two, so I have no recollection. And then with the first cat of my memory is Patches, is, uh, is I'm sorry, Fluffy, uh, who's a, who's a uh, long hair, uh, multicolored kind of cat, little technicolor cat there, little cute kitty. And uh, she, uh, she was with the house, then left, and was nowhere to be found. Uh, we had to write her off um, back in the day. Uh, and she was a sweetheart, though, from what my memory of her. My very short memory, very short window of time uh, in the in the mid-60s, mid to late 60s. And in the later 80s, I'm sorry, even the 90s, it wasn't until the 90s where, uh, basically, where uh, cats came back into the Massey scenario. Uh, and my mom, in around the year 2000, I believe, took her in, took my lily, took Lillian in my calico that I had. Uh, she lived to be 15. She had a mouth cancer, uh, sadly, and that's what did her in. But until that point, she was just a wonderful cat. She did go through about a several few weeks of suffering. Uh, the doctor said I, I did the right thing by trying to make her make it work. But uh, at one point, we decided it was not it was uh, beyond hope and uh, you know those decisions are, are really tough to make they're very very tough to make you're, you're talking about um, extinguishing the life of, of, a, of, a, of a being of a being of God's creature um, its existence its whole um, well its whole being and you're you're denying them that but you have to make the decision of their suffering and you need to put these animals out of their suffering. They can't control their suffering. They, uh, there's nothing we can really do a lot about the suffering. I know that advances in medicine have changed that whole landscape. It's much more promising now. There's much more chance that your animal has a serious injury, that that animal is going to survive that injury. Just through technology, just through improvements, uh, just through due diligence, uh, it's not going to be cheap. These trips to the vet uh, can break the bank. They've been known to. Um, I, I would imagine families have gone in hock trying to keep their animals alive. Uh, individuals and families alike. Uh, all the resources have been pooled. Uh, and it's still not enough. 
the vets will suck you dry. They will suck you dry. They'll save your animal. Yeah, they'll do everything they can in their power and their technology, which is pretty vast on the scheme of today's. Uh, there's no such thing as a lousy animal hospital these days. Unless you've got the worst of staff, these hospitals are totally prepared for any contingent uh, that these animals will find themselves into. Injury, illness, uh, certain I'm sure certain forms of cancer. There's a corollary between a human, human well-being and animal well-being. Uh, the technology trickles down into the veterinary sciences, the veterinary, veterinarian medicine. Uh, the vet medicine, I should say, just for short, to keep it simple. Because the vet, veterinarian, veterin, vet, veterinarian, I guess would be how you would pronounce that. And I guess that is a proper word. It's a long word. It's a long word, folks. But the short order on it is we have animals that love us and care for us. And care about us, really. That... And that deviation, that segue, well, does it segue to my computer, back to the arc of computer, of the story, of the whole podcast, uh, computers? I should have probably made it the cats being the top line. Uh, they'll make the second line of my title. Uh, that was a good segment to just uh, talk about my animals. Any opportunity I have, okay, any opportunity that you throw at me, any opportunity on the clock that I have, I'm going to bring up Lulu and Kane. Kane and Lulu. Same billing. There are equal levels on the billing sheet and on the billing title card, on the art card, on the title card of the movie called Kane and Lulu, Lulu and Kane. Or Lulu and Kane and Kane and Lulu. How's that one? But computers, and uh, it doesn't segue to computers, but my computer arc of the story is that uh, I'm really psyched. I'm really excited to start working in a new, uh, with, with some new, uh, new tools at my disposal. I'm not going to be able to really load up my computer with too many things, uh, with too many apps, uh, unless they're free. I'll take advantage of free apps any day. Um, but as far as purchasing stuff, I'm going to keep that limit. I'm, gonna, I'm on a tight budget right now. I'm sort of uh, over budget, actually, with this computer purchase. It was uh, planned, but it wasn't planned. It was planned where I originally was going to get it. We, I purchased a separate printer beforehand, which I would recommend not doing. Get your computer before you buy any other peripheral item like a printer or a scanner. Uh, well, now they have printer-scanner combinations, don't they? And copier combinations all in one. The three-in-one uh, units are pretty cool. I think you probably might sacrifice quality, but then again, they may have closed that gap. Uh, but uh, with me, um, I purchased the, uh, the printer first, found out that I couldn't upgrade my older iMac desktop with the latest software to run that, which is called Catalina. And the one before that, I believe, is called Snow Leopard, but I might be wrong. That could be the one I have currently. Yeah, I believe the one before that was um, named after a city or town, uh, not not Yuma, but it has a name like that. 
And uh, those two operating systems, Mojave, thank you, Mark. Mojave was the previous 10.8, and then the latest 10.8 is uh, Catalina. Can't run those, okay? The minimum that I would have to have had it upgraded to would be Mojave. It wasn't going to update my uh, vintage iMac relatively in the scheme of things up to the Mojave, which would enable me to be the minimum operating system to run this new generation of, uh, of, of printer scanners, uh, copiers, all at once, which is what I have. Uh, the quality is, I've yet to, to, to determine the quality. The copy quality is off the charts quality. It's uh, it's one of those things where you, the copy almost looks better than the original. Okay. Uh, and the computer itself, I haven't gotten yet. I'm going to learn a lot. It comes with a suite, a suite of uh, applications on it already. I'm going to explore those. Oh, it's going to be like a kid in a candy store when I get my computer today. And it's today. Today's Saturday. Uh, it's 5.51 as I look at my uh, studio clock. Mark is, uh, he came in a little late this morning. Um, nice enough night. There was no weather reason. I ask him why he's late every time, uh, which is almost every day. I don't know what the deal is. He's got to get his act together on the lateness. But he makes up for it at the back end because he's here usually later uh, putting finishing touches on our shows. So I always admire that. Um, I thought it was a fast kind of thing. Um, I do my own write-ups. The write-ups and descriptions are written by me, yours truly. I do my own titles for my shows. Uh, the ideas for my shows are mine. Okay. Um, Mark has some input. Um, I, I definitely take suggestions from anyone and anything, anything that moves. I'll take a suggestion from, I'll, I'll definitely be there if you want to suggest an idea for me to talk about. But I like to, I like to ramble, as you know from this show. Uh, it's ramblings and other stories. But it's, it's uh, talk me some art and other stories. And I'm trying to stay on focus with that. Um, I think Buckles Brannigan series bring in the sagas there, bring in a little sense of drama. And I hope art. I hope it brings in a little bit of a parodiac or a parodying art. Uh, I like to parody. Um, I'm a parodist by nature. Uh, I will parody just about anything. Uh, I don't get too much into politics. I'm not going to do a lot of politics parodying. parodying. I, I'm not going to go there. Um, I'm going to try to be clear in my directions and approaches and my observations. I'm going to try to explain my observations, thoughts, uh, ruminations in a clear, concise way. Uh, when I say ruminations, I don't mean it's going to be a, um, a blind, uh, you know, sort of stabbing, making stabs. Ruminations implies small tidbits, doesn't it? Ruminations, just odd, odd ends that don't really fit into a logic. I try to tie everything up with the bow. Okay. I try to tie everything up with a, a nice red bow on it. Um, at the end, and I try to be cohesive. Uh, I've got some tangents, okay? I've got some different offshoots that are going to happen. I don't want it to be an off-ramp. I want it to be an on-ramp. I want it to be an exit, but an on-ramp, 
back onto the uh, story arc eventually. I wanted to get back to the story. I don't want to leave my my uh, my uh, audience uh, hanging. I know that's a device that can be incorporated effectively and subtly. I might do it in subtle ways. I might do it in subtle ways. Do I abandon my subjects, my main thrust of my conversations by going off on the tangents? Do I abandon my original thought uh, arc, story arc, or discussion topic? Do I lose sight of it? Yes, I do. All the time. All the time. I, I, I have to say, uh, if I get into it too deep on a tangent, I will have forgotten uh, what Mark and I have to go back and actually rewind to hear me when we go into uh, the segments. We take them one by one and I go right down the line to see what I gisted about. If it's one segment in question, we, we retain the segment. We don't, we keep it in run. It's just on hold until we come back to it. So we have a seamless cut uh, that you don't even really notice when I'm taking breaks. That's a, that's a coup. That's a, uh, it's not a deception. It's a tool that I need. I need to uh, bring the show to, to make it more cohesive. I, I want cohesiveness. I only have about, uh, you know, a maximum of, well, I could talk as long, my podcast could be as long as the, as the hills, as, as long as, uh, as, uh, as anything. But I don't, I choose to make them under 50 minutes because I feel, I think 45 minutes, that's about a good time to kind of wrap things up. Uh, some of my episodes with my brother Claude, uh, we did one on Providence. We did one on nature, St. John the Baptist. Those all clocked in well over 50 minutes. Some of them approached an hour. Um, uh, the cling cling bell uh, kind of went off in a visual way as I looked at the countdown clock on some of those shows, had to, had to rain Claude back in, and we had to kind of wrap up procedures before the hour mark. I want to just stay shy of the hour, um, and these segments I want to keep shy. I, I brought the standard up to under eight minutes. So I'm always aware of how these these uh, segments tie in. I know I've gone over on some segments, and namely these last couple have gone slightly over. So maybe I can remedy that, right? I employ trick devices, trick devices up my sleeve to come back to the original crux of the story as I was speaking earlier. I do, I do. I will uh, save a segment and uh, know where I'm ending and then take off from that beginning, uh, reassess the beginning of my arc uh, that I had on that previous segment and then come back in. And of course, we're talking about computers. Uh, the cat story was a secondary story part of this podcast, uh, not to dissect this show. Um, and it could have been the main feature, but I started by talking about computers. And uh, the computer conundrum, actually. The computer conundrum. My titles help drive my shows. Um, I try to distill the, the essence of the show into two, three-word title. It's the usual, the first item on the title. Uh, my titles have been separated by commas lately. 
I section off my titles. I don't give the show, which talks about maybe four or five different distinct topics. Typically, I pick the two or three that are the... uh, I found out the the three-item title is too long for... uh, these, uh, they will list it, but it'll be cut off your top part of your, your top line actually, which is the most important, will be cut off on your, uh, when you go to your full display of what you're listening to. So if you're listening to Joe Rogan, for instance, uh, his titles on his shows are pretty short, so you don't have to worry about uh, his name or title uh, being cut off. Uh, you're going to see the artwork there, you're going to know it's Joe Rogan. But you want to make a quick glance at what the show title is. So I keep them under under two words, under two names. Let's say under six or seven words at the most. Uh, uh, using those two names. My descriptions. Well, I'm a fat-fingered fuck. I've already determined that from a previous episode. Fat-fingered fuck. And uh, I skip letters. I type the wrong letters in as I'm typing in my descriptions and I get frustrated. So my descriptions, I don't know if you've noticed over the last, oh, let's say month, they've gotten a little shorter in there. Um, I don't get as wordy, not not as flowery, I guess. Um, although I don't, I didn't try to aim for floweriness. Uh, I, I aimed for uh, succinctness and not, not over explaining something. You've got to kind of leave something at mystery. Uh, in these descriptions, and not all is revealed, and uh, I, I understand that, and I work with it. I work with it, but I keep my comments short because of my typing uh, errors that I make. And I, the less frustration I have in, in preparing these, like I said, I write everything, my titles and descriptions myself. I don't get Mark's help on that. He might make some suggestions here and there, and he does make suggestions here and there. But uh, and I take them all in consideration but I've got to say for the most part I've gone with my first gut uh, it's usually the best uh, I like alliteratives I like uh, rhymes sometimes uh, I like devices like that that kind of help out um, I like um, I like the element of uh, quaintness I like the element of artfulness I like the element of uh, sort of newness and surprise and serendipity. Um, I like um, I like uh, how relationships between the two topics do they relate somehow? Can I play off that relationship? Uh, can I meld it all into one? Can I economize? How do we economize in life? Is that good to economize? Yes, it is. It's good to streamline. It's good to open up more space for you to have more downtime. Um, my life is lived for my downtime. I like to have uh, delayed satisfaction. That's, that's, a, that's a, a skill that we inherit. That's something that is honed. That is something that doesn't happen overnight. Delayed satisfaction is not the, the, uh, it is not the ch- a trait of a child. A child does not know what delayed satisfaction is. All delayed satisfaction is, is that you put off something while you're doing something a little less pleasant. You put off something while you're doing something else that's a little less pleasant. Uh, That would be my definition. So if you're working on your computer, 
You know, you're doing a labor. You, you, you do love it as a labor, but you know that you're not your set point, but your, well, your goal, your goal is to be either uh, simple pleasures. Now, again, simple pleasures for me. I know that for me. I don't need to be on a Tahiti, Tahitian island for delayed satisfaction to come to a fruition or a completion, the completion of the arc, as we're talking about arcs here, the life arc. Now, the life arc could just be uh, eating caramels, eating uh, Brock's caramels and Mounds bars uh, while I watch uh, uh, Dale Robertson uh, tackle the bad, the bad sign winders and and, uh, and uh, bounty bounty hunters and robbers of um, and their kin and their kin. Yep, uh, and. Uh, joking with the uh, tellers and the telegraph operators in the town of, uh, of Glory B, which is the setting for Tales of Wells Fargo, a wonderful television series from the early 60s, that um, late 50s, early 60s, uh, the black and white episodes a half an hour, the color episodes morphed into an hour-long uh, panoply uh, without without narration. The first series had narration from the character of Dale Robertson, which his character is is Jim. Jim Hardy is the protagonist, uh, the investigator for Wells Fargo. That's He plays that part, Dale Robertson, very deftly and with some real personality. Uh, reminds me of Guy Williams, actually, uh, when I see him. He's that kind of actor. Uh, charismatic, uh, handsome uh, and very uh, empathetic uh, compassionate person uh, doesn't take any bullshit though uh, matter of fact but it's got a sense of humor yeah he's got all the characters of, of John Robinson on Lost in Space and his character they could be interchanged they could in- easily interchange their roles without any any guff from me you're not going to get any guff from me. It'd be cool to see Guy Williams playing uh, Dale Robinson's role and vice versa. That'd be kind of neat, you know? And uh, so I like protagonists. I like strong characters. I like no-nonsense. Um, of course, Hollywood has made it where the strong character is the protagonist, of course. Um, there are assertive characters, and the, the bad guys are pretty assertive. Uh, but they're not strong. They've got weak spots, and they're going to be exploited. They're going to be found. They, are they quick on the draw? If they're too slow, well, they don't. They don't figure. Uh, our friend Buckles has, has known that. He's worked. He had. He was contracting on the roof uh, one time, and uh, there was some. Uh, there was some uh, tension there. There was some tension there. They uh, had some construction work they were undergoing. And uh, they had some arguments back and forth. The owner um, wanted to hire a cheaper uh, group of people, and Buckles didn't have it. He didn't want any building built in that city that was under his, uh, you know, so he used his own strong arm. Uh, He had part ownership in the enterprise. And McCabe, Badman McCabe, which you know from previous episodes, uh, he uh, tried to thwart Buckles at every turn. 
uh, this this is this is what's going on in in, in, in in South Fork, and this is 1877. Okay, the waning days of our drama. Our drama only takes place in an approximate period of about 20 years. It doesn't deviate much from those histrionic history history lines. Its uh, its founding was was uh, I believe 1862, and uh, they had 37 people that settled in there off a wagon train uh, with with some Denver uh, blood in it, some Denver. Heritage is built into the town of, uh, there's some Denver expatriates living in, uh, everything's in scale at that point. The expatriates now are, are out in Europe and every, any place outside the U.S., but this was any place outside of the cities, the cities, the cities of Baltimore, of, of Providence, of Boston, of uh, Chicago, of San Francisco, of Denver expatriates from these cities moving into small towns like South Fork, like Cobalt, the Pinkerton town. They hired 14 Pinkerton agents one time that was working in that town that came in from Denver to consult with the people of South Fork. This was not a clean sweep. This was not a clean take. In other words, people were killed. People were killed on this one, uh, and the uh, the story is that the story continues, and we're going to hear more about it. I, I, from what I understand, in an upcoming episode um, that I'm involved in, and they they play tricks on me when these air, but this one is ready to go out of the can, and I know it is. And you know, the jokes aside, they know that they don't have to kid. I can easily check notes. I can easily check my notes. I'm the one that planned it. But I'm pretty sure, I can tell you with almost certainty, that the next one's going to involve the tensions that we've talked about. Buckles Brannigan. That sidewinder is not going to get the best of me, I can tell you that. And when I come back from my load, the mother load, the load to end all loads, the $50,000 load. That's what I'm talking about, of gold. And I'm going to get more, too. I'm going to go back into those Pearson Canyon crevices and dig out every last bit of beautiful, beautiful shimmering gold. I like the feeling in my hands. I like the weight of it. that bad hombre McCabe who's a land grabber. Yep, takes it from Perkins people and other people down the pike. 
on the outskirts of South Fork, buying up land like you would never believe, working with corrupt bankers at Morgan Bank, which I never knew there was any there. I'd have weeded them out a long time ago. I guess it's news on me. Stuff does get by me once in a while. The plot thickens. The plot thickens. tin horns I can't stomach them and I'll sit down for a card game just to call their bluff I'll invite him you throw anything you got at me I'm ready for it except there was this one man one man pal P-A-L was his last name that's all I knew of him Mr. Pal there was no pal of mine He tried to cheat me using the help of Millie's, one of Millie's workers who left after that. We didn't want her really traipsing around the parts. She's she's got uh, eyes in the back of her head. She's got them everywhere, but but where they need to be, they they was glued on the cards. She'd work her way around the table. I knew her style. I knew her style. She'd go get drinks for the Tin Horn Pal. Mr. P.A.L. Short name, real short, short name, but real, real long in the tooth as far as varmint. Because he was one of the varmint tin horns. One of those blood-sucking tin horns, you know? One of those braggarts. Well, they're all braggarts, but this one was a take the cake. He thought he was the bee's knees. And he was just nothing to sneeze at. And when he drew that last hand, and I had to do take care of business by pulling out my Smith and Wesson 45, we had to make it happen. Buckles Brannigan, coming to Talk Me Some Art and Other Stories.